on Siblings on Record, Alice Cooper, Love It to Death. Everybody. Welcome to Siblings on Record, a podcast where one of us picks an album and we spend the episode talking about it and analyzing it. I am Aaron Martell. And I am Shannon Fleming. And this week it's my pick for our third episode. And I have selected Alice Cooper's Love It to Death. So Shannon, episode number three, Alice Cooper. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how you discovered Alice Cooper and how you came across Love It to Death? Well, I came across Love It to Death because of you, and I'm going to do this out of order, apparently. But um, how I first discovered Alice Cooper was The Muppet Show. And I remember being very little and seeing Welcome to My Nightmare, and I was fascinated. It was it was like, whoa, what, what the heck is this? Yeah, no, I remember that episode. Yeah, I mean, here, here's like Alice Cooper trying to, like, what we was trying to, like, demon. They were like demons, right? Or Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, like playing, almost, the, he was playing the character. Yeah, right, right. And he's like, like, there's Miss Piggy and Gonzo and, and Kermit trying to get away. And it's, it's, it was, it was a real, you know, it's kind of shocking. And it was fun. Yeah. That was what was so cool about it. Yeah, I mean, by you then, know? by then he was a solo artist, too. Yes. It, yes. Like, we're actually going to be talking about the Alice Cooper band. Right. Which is a different animal than the solo artist. But yeah, I, I remember that Muppet show. Yeah. So, you know, the band itself, I, I didn't really discover was a band until I was well into my teens, honestly. Um, Alice Cooper, as, as much as I respect the band and I, and I God, and the influence that they've, that the, the influence that every like rock musician, every punk artist, I mean, what they've taken from him is, is just astounding. <laughs> and I hear it. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's really cool. But yeah, honestly, it was, yeah, the man who, who was, you know, Vincent Furnier, changed his name to Alice Cooper. So my first thought of Alice Cooper is the man, but the band didn't come till much later on. Yeah. I didn't realize until I started digging into the background, but that's, that's really my introduction. I guess I was what, four years old, five years old. Yeah. You had to be really young. Yeah. It was like 1978 or 79. I think it was, so, I think it was 78. I think. Yeah. If you listeners, if we, if we say some uh, facts that are all messed up or incorrect, you know, you can let us know about it. And I'm sure you will. <laughs> Um, but yeah, for me, Alice Cooper, it's, for me, it has to begin with School's Out. Um, we knew th that song. I mean, we used to chant that in elementary school yep. towards the end of the year when it, I didn't know it was Alice Cooper, but I, mm -hmm. I you know, we knew that song, you know, School's Out. You, you, you'd oh. yell it and sing it think, thinking it was, you know, what a great song. Well, Terry, Terry was the one, the day that I graduated from high school, I woke up that morning with School's Out blaring in my bedroom. Terry is <laughs> Shannon and I's aunt, by the way. Yes. Yes. And she was a big Alice Cooper fan, apparently. So, you know, but that was the song. I remember waking up and I, it's blaring. And I'm like, I jumped out of bed and she was like, it's graduation day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So there's, there's another good memory of that as well. Yeah. Awesome. So from schools out, I, I, I was going to say, I remember the Muppet show and I believe that he performed that, didn't he? On the Muppet show? I, yeah, I believe he did. He, there were three songs I thought that he did. Yeah. But I remember them doing schools. I was, all right, so there's the guy who does that song. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of floated off. I didn't think much about 
the band or him until my teens. And then by then you'd hear a few of his songs that are in heavy rotation on classic rock radio, you know, know, school's out 18, some, you know, some of those other songs. I always liked those songs. So I ended up purchasing uh, his greatest hits record. It's a good Um, start. Yeah. The first, you know, the first Alice Cooper greatest hits loved all the songs on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't pursue it much further until years later. Again, as with Led Zeppelin, another guy that I worked with, I was working third shift at a a retail box store stocking shelves. Mm -hmm. And they allowed us to play music. We could bring our own cassette tapes in with a boom box and play it as we were stocking the shelves. And uh, this guy, he and I would bring in different cassette tapes he was a big Cooper fan, so he kept bringing tapes in of, you know, all of. he has so many albums. He and the band have so many albums. So I was listening to a lot of those albums and really digging the music. So then I, that inspired me to get the catalog. So I slowly acquired it all. And then, you know, within that, I got to love it to death. And that's how I discovered this album. Yeah, out of curiosity, and this is a little bit of a tangent, is this the same guy that you ended up playing? This was the guitar player in your brief band period? Nope, nope. That's that's a totally different guy. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, we were big. You know, we were into the hard rock, heavy metal, me and this guy. So I would bring yes. in, you know, Judas Priest and, and you know, Iron Maiden. And he would bring in Alice Cooper and, uh, cool. you know, that sort of stuff. So we would, you know, that, that's, that's basically how I discovered the band and how I discovered the record. You derived... A lot of the, it's funny. A lot of the bands that you ended up getting into were through coworkers. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, this is the second time that you've mentioned something where it was a coworker that was like, "Whoa, this you got to listen to this," and, and you were like, "Whoa, this is great," you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind being turned on by other people. You know, I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I can probably, as we go along with this podcast, there's going to be a lot of other artists that I got turned on to by somebody else, whether it was a coworker or a relative, or you know, things like that, maybe or you. So, yeah. so, um, yeah, this, this was a, also another, a coworker, just like the Led Zeppelin. That's so funny because I'm, I am more like tight, tight knit. I tend to, most of my, the stuff that I love is, is through our parents, probably through Terry, our aunt, through you and Matt. <laughs> Pretty, um, yeah. Actually, Andy, I, I leave her out all the time. She's my best friend for you listeners. And you know, it, it's funny. I, there's not, I don't have a huge circle of friends that listen to such different stuff than I did. Shannon, why don't you give the listeners some basic facts about Love It to Death? Okay, Love It to Death is the third album by Alice Cooper and was released on Straight Warner Brothers Records on March 8th, 1971. It was produced by Jack Richardson and Bob Ezrin, and it was recorded at RCA Mid-American Recording Center in Chicago, Illinois in December 1970. Its peak position on the Billboard 200 was number 35. Another interesting thing about this album, and I'm sure most of the listeners you know, know about this, is the album cover. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Another funny part of this was the fact that, you know, you got the you got the five or six guys, six guys, right? Nope, five. 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 Yeah, okay. So you got the five of them standing there and you got Alice Cooper there in the front and he's and he's got his, you know, he's got a, like this cape type thing on. But then he sticks his 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 right thumb out and it looks like a penis. Yeah. And it stirred up a lot of controversy, so they had to go back and airbrush it so you could see what, you know, today's version of it is. Yeah, there are pictures of the one with his cock out or his thumb out or whatever it is, you know, but, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was controversial for sure, you know, leave it to Alice to do something like that. Um, I love it. I, I, you know, the, the album that I have, like on my iTunes or whatever, I have, he's got his cock out. Come on now. 
I would think they'd have to bring it back in as novelty. Yeah. And it, another thing I was interesting that I read too, as I was you know going around just reading some stuff about them, is that this one for the Rolling Stones, they have like this like I think it was like a top ten like disturbing album covers. This was number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Alice. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I if I'm gonna have an album cover, I want it the way the artist originally intended. I agree. All right, so let's move into the lineup card for the Alice Cooper Band. We have Alice Cooper himself, like you said, the former Vincent Fernier on vocals and harmonica, Glenn Buxton on lead guitar, Michael Bruce, rhythm guitar, keyboards, and some backing vocals, Dennis Dunaway, bass and backing vocals, Neil Smith, drums and backing vocals. And with that, we will move into the track-by-track -track discussion. So, track number one, Caught in a Dream, written by Michael Bruce. Shannon, what do you think of Caught in a Dream? This might be my favorite song on the album, which really? I guess, yeah, which, you know, probably won't come to a big surprise as a big surprise to most of the listeners, because this was probably the biggest song on the album besides 18. Yeah. Um, besides I'm, I'm, blah, I'm 18. But, um, you know, I, I just love the straight ahead rock. It just it gives me that kind of like Stones feel to it. And apparently the Yardbirds was a massive influence for for the for Alice Cooper, I, I don't know if it was for the full band, but definitely for him, the Who, and such. So I just, I, it's it's you can groove to it. I like that. Yeah, it, it, to me, it's it's a good '70s hard rock song. Yes. Um, you know, it's got a good riff. It's got a catchy chorus. You know, tight playing. Um, the lyrics to me seem to mock whatever people see as successful. You know, like like material things. You know, be careful what you wish for. Kind right. of thing. You know, like material things don't really matter that much, but. Um, I love the the whoa whoa that vocal hook. Love yes. that stuff. I can totally hear Kiss in that too. I mean, Kiss must have been massively influenced by Alice Cooper because when I first when you first start listening to him, I'm like, holy shit, this is Kiss. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> and, this, this is '71, right? So yeah, yeah, Kiss had to be influenced by Cooper. I would think. I mean, yeah, not only musically, but obviously the stage show, the elaborate. Right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. They were. Yeah. I mean, they were. They were all about shocking the yeah. audience. Yeah. I mean, the, well, this the is this, was. this really is the birth of shock rock. Yeah. He's Alice the godfather Cooper. of shock rock. Absolutely. That's what he's called. Yeah. So, he is. Yeah. So it's it's there's no surprise that Kiss would have you know been so influenced by this. I mean, because it, it did it. It attracted audiences, and the worse it, you know the worse his show would get, the more people would want to see him. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, that that's the whole point of shock rock, right? You you do something outrageous and. It, and people who think it's disgusting, but they're going to watch. They're, they're going to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. And that can that continued on probably, you know, to this day, you still have bands that do, you know, think shocking things to try to, you know, to try to get attention. And yeah. often it works. Or at least there are certain bands and artists, you know, throughout musical history that 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 certainly happens. And th these guys are like the forerunners of it. Next, we have track number two, I'm 18, which is basically written by the entire band.
do you think about I'm 18? This is probably one of the first, you know, it's it's funny, we're going back, we were talking about at the beginning about how, to, how did you come across Alice Cooper? I remember hearing this song when I was a teenager as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. And of course, all of us could relate to it. It's true. I mean, it's all about that angst and, you know, I'm just tr- wanting to be grown, grown up and whatever. And it's, and it is a cool tune. And I love the way he sings the chorus. I'm 18. He's like yelling it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he really belts it out. Yeah, he does. Um, this song is arguably his most famous and popular song. I, I, you know, you, you've got a couple maybe that rival at School's Out. Yes. Um, is the one that comes to mind. But this this is one of his major, major songs. I mean, he plays it at every show. Um, it's got that distinctive opening riff. You, you, you can't miss it when it starts. Uh, there's some harmonica that's played by Cooper himself. Yes, and I like that, that little bit. You know, it almost has like, um, you know, I, I kept trying to put my finger on what it was reminding me of. And it and it gave me a, a little bit of like a Bob Dylan-ish, like this, I know that sounds strange, but truly like a Dylan-ish, um, Neil Young type of flavor to it. Which wouldn't surprise me if they absorbed that, you know, if they absorbed those influences. Because, well, well I mean, uh, the Alice Cooper band was originally signed to Frank Zappa's label. Which I love. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> there's a story. I don't, I don't know if you heard this story. I guess there's a story where um, they contacted Zappa and they were going to do an audition for him. At 7 in the morning. At 7 in the morning. They, 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 he told them to come at 7 and they showed up at 7 in the morning. <laughs> and, of course, Zappa being Zappa was like, you know, oh, this is okay. <laughs> yeah, these was, guys are he, capturing he, me now. He gave them a, a break because he figured, well, if these guys are this dedicated that they're going to show up at 7 in the morning, he ended up signing them. Absolutely. But if you've heard the first two Cooper albums, the, the first one is sounds like, you know, poor man's Zappa. It's it's bad. You know, it's eclectic. It's all over the place. Very unfocused. The songs just pretty much suck. Well, I think that's where they, they credited Bob Ezrin for tightening them up for, for this, for, you know, Love It to Death. They yeah. Said, you know, he, that was one of the complaints that he had yeah. about coming into the studio. He didn't want to work with them at first. Right. And then he saw their live show. Yeah, that that changed and, his mind, right? Right, and but but then he said once he got in there, he had to like he tightened. He, he made them like practice, tighten everything up. I think I read also that I'm 18. What? How long was the song originally? It was like it it, it came down to like three minutes, but I think it was like over eight or something like that. At some point, yeah. But yeah. he he made them tighten everything up, and and, and the the band actually said at one point, you know, they they, they felt good about the direction because it worked. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And the second album shows signs of what they would become. Yes. But it was still kind of a mess. It's still, you know, the songs weren't very strong. Mm-hmm. A couple of things happened that were that were key to changing this band around. One, they relocated from California to Detroit. Right. And Detroit was a hotbed of hard rock at I know, the time. That's... You know, the MC5, the Stooges, you know, like embryonic hard rock with, with, with even punk, even... Uh, music that would become called punk. Well, the Ramones were highly influenced by by the band. Yeah. So, yeah, I could totally see that. So they, you know, they, they took all that in. They were absorbing that music. And then, of course, like you alluded to, Bob Ezrin changed everything. Yes. Because and he was only 19. Yeah. This is his first <laughs> album that he yes. that he produced. It says Jack Richardson, who was an older, you know, respected producer, but he wanted nothing to do with Cooper. Yep. That's what I read, and too. Basically, he had nothing to do with this album. His, his name is just on it. You know, good for mm-hmm. him, right? Yes. But, uh, yeah, Ezrin's influence is huge on this album, and it really sets the template for what he would do later on with so many other artists. Which I'm sure was a direction that he never expected himself to go in. Pro- I wouldn't think so, no. But, uh, 
Yeah, he changed Cooper's sound, basically. Turned him into a hard rock band, tight, tight, tight. I guess, you know, they were tight as a drum. Yep. He made them rehearse and rehearse and rehearse the material uh, before they recorded it. Like 12 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, crazy, <laughs> crazy. The next song, track number three, Long Way to Go, written by Michael Bruce. What do you think of Long Way to Go? Really like the song. In fact, I, I'm kind of now I'm waffling. I'm kind of going back and forth. I, I originally said Caught in a Dream might be my favorite. It still might be, but I do love this song. I think it's 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 just so again, it's got that like that that groove. It, it has a really nice groove to it. it. It's a little on the gritty side and it's just got a, a real steady guitar, you know, going on there. And, and I like the, the drums in it even. It's it's just a cool, solid song. Yeah, it's got a nice fast driving riff. Um, great guitar work. Good solo. It's catchy. Yeah. yeah, I love the solo. That <laughs> yeah, and there's an organ in there too. It's kind of buried in the mix, but every once in a while you you can pick it up. Um, it's there too, and it, I think it helps. That's an Ezrin thing too. I think that yeah, he plays piano and organ in some of these. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you know his influence is in there. Um, you know it transitions into a, a piano. The piano in this was played by Ezrin. I think the organ was played. Um, by, by Michael Bruce, but... Okay. Yeah, but the piano that's in there, you know, towards the end of the song... Right. That's played by Ezrin. Right. Um, it's such... Oh, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. I'm just, it's such a catchy tune. It is. Now, what do you think of the lyrics? I, what I, I'm picking up... I don't, is he singing about a homeless guy or something? I, I, I don't know. I don't almost pick up that he's like a homeless guy or something. Something like that. Yeah, like a hobo of sorts. You know, the, the savior of the streetwalk life. You know, that, that, that makes me think of, you know, well, some... Somebody out there's, on the streets. Yes. But, you know, there's also a lot of religious overtones throughout this album as well. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So I could see where they would be connected, you know, trying to trying to find your way, especially yeah, still got a long way to go. I mean, it's 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 um, yeah, I, I would have to agree with your assessment on that. And it was so funny as I as much as I, I listened to the song, it's not the lyrics so much that grabbed me as much as the sound yeah, does. Yeah. I know that sounds odd, but it's true. No, it's not odd at all. It's great. I mean, that's... It's on the go. So maybe that does connect with that, you know, in terms of... It, it's 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 such a, a picked up... You've described it perfectly before in terms of the, it, it moves quickly and that's... It kind of encompasses that like a homeless type of thing. You have to be on the go constantly because there's no place to go. Yeah, where else are you going to... Yeah. Well, I would think so, especially if you're in Detroit. Oh, God. Where you're going to yeah. freeze your ass off. No kidding. In the winter. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, I lived in but, Michigan and it was pretty cold. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. I, so I can understand. <laughs> yeah. This is a great tune. Uh, I love it. I mean, this album is starts off very strong. It, it does. It comes in with a bang. It's 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 pretty cool. The next song, track number four, or the last song on the first side for all you vinyl heads out there, Black Juju, written by Dennis Dunaway.
think of this one? <laughs> this song cracks me up. It does. And it's got such an interesting intro with that fade in with the drums, the percussion. It's a really long fade in, too. It is. And then all of a sudden you introduce this, this gothic sounding organ, which made me immediately think of, and I don't know if this is a good assessment, but I think of Inagata De Vida by Iron Butterfly. I mean, it just was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, yeah, I what could, is this? I could hear that. I thought of the doors. Well, yes. Well, especially when they get into that, like the monologue part of it, when, right. you know, when he starts, I thought of the end. Yeah. When he starts like just speaking, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I mean, the, the doors are clearly an influence on this song. Absolutely. Um, I did read though online, you know, the Wikipedia, so bear that in mind. That's where I got it from. Yes. That this song was heavily influenced by the doors and early Pink Floyd. I guess there's a song called uh, Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Yes. I went back and listened to it and I can hear it. It's there. You know what I mean? So I, I it, it definitely there was, I can hear uh, that Pink Floyd song in, in this one too. Yeah. I did read the same thing. I did not listen to the song and I'm, you know, I am familiar with a lot of Pink Floyd material, but I, I don't know this song particularly, but I, I could, I could totally see where the sound in general would, would influence something like this. Yeah, it's like really this. early. It's, it's either on their first or second album. Okay. I'm sure somebody's screaming at the podcast right now saying, it's the second one, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> You know, yeah, probably. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I do know it's early Pink Floyd. Um, yeah, the, the organ, the creepy organ. You know, it's creating this gothic atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, then it becomes like super, super quiet. Yes. You know, and he's he's just like whispering, you know, "Bodies need rest" or whatever. Whatever he's. And you're right with the doors thing. I mean, you know, besides the, the, that gothic sound of the organ, you could it still would be something like Ray Manzarek would probably do something like wake that. Up, you know? Wake up! Wake up! <laughs> okay, now I can't talk. You know? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, and, and, and then super, what about that bass creepy. solo? Oh, I know. I know. This song is, this song is just whacked out. Now, I've read people online that complain about this song. They say it's too long or something. Oh, I like it. I, I love it. I don't care. I, I mean, do it just, too. Yeah. You know, it, uh, so the lyrics, so uh, what do you think about them? What do you think about the lyrics? Did you, did you <gasps> take the time to look at those or... I mean, I listened to it. No, I haven't really. Again, I feel I thought I did all my homework really well. And now I'm beginning to feel like I, I haven't. Well, I mean, we don't, no, have, to, I, we don't I, have to analyze lyrically every song. It's just something that I like to do. And I do. I do in certain cases, but I was so captivated by just the music. I don't th- I think I kind of forgot to focus on it. Yeah, because it's just all over the place. I and mean, it's, it's I got I have two interpretations that I've come up with. One, it's either about drugs and, you know, how. Because there's a a lyric in there that says, like, plunged into his arm. Oh, yes. So, you know, and and it may be like like he's having a bad trip and it's inspiring a scary experience. Or it's just the zombie apocalypse is upon us. I don't know. You know, it could be be anything. I don't know. Either way, it could go. I mean, mean, apparently he struggled. Well, here we go back to the man, Alice Cooper. I mean, he struggled big time with alcoholism. To the point where he had had cirrhosis. Oh, yeah. He was really, really bad. So you can even hallucinate from something like that, you know, so it's it's it is. It's just a really strange song. And when you think about the music again, in connection with the lyrics, it would make sense if it was, you know, representative of some sort of a bad trip or whatnot. So but overall, it's it's a long, whacked out song. It's the longest song in the album. Yes. Yeah, I dig it. I do, too. I like it. It's again, at first, when I listen to this album, 
I, I wasn't sure about it. I'm like, I don't think I like this very much, but I've listened to it over and over again. It's really grown on me. It'll grow on you. <laughs> it did. And I, now I have a real appreciation for it. And I, I would love to have this in my, well, I have it in my collection now. So it's, it's, it's a really, it's an interesting listen for sure. Oh, yeah. Moving on to track number five or the first song on side two, Is It My Body, written by the whole band. Is it my body? <laughs> this is a, I think this song's kind of funny. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it's not my body. <laughs> it's not mine either. Ew, trust me. Ew. So I like this song. It's it's good. I mean, it, it, it's 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 got a nice riff to it. It's it's this one has this one has an organ in it too, right? God, now I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm trying to think offhand. I don't think so. I think it's this one's okay. just yeah. I think this one. I'm, just... I'm skipping on to Hallowed Be the, Hallowed Be My Name. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this is a pretty straight ahead tune as well. Yes. So it, it, and the lyrics are pretty funny in this one. This was one that I you couldn't help but listen because it's like, is it my body? It's like, oh my god, make a joke of this. <laughs> yeah. No, I I love this tune too. It's this one is on Alice Cooper's Greatest Hits that album. Mm-hmm. So I knew this one uh, before I got this album. Um, to me, I, Alice himself is a standout on this on the vocals. I think he, I think it's a great delivery on it. Yes. And, um, you know, it's pretty like you said, straightforward. He wants to know if the person he's singing to, you know, loves him for himself, or you know, yep. you know, is it, or are you just into the superficial Cooper? You know what I mean? Yeah. That so, hint of narcissism creeping in. Yeah. So you know, and he's looking for love in all the wrong places. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This but is it, the- the rock version of that that song, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a rockin' tune. Um, I you know I can't say anything bad about it. It's you know it, it flows along with the album, and it's you know just a great song. And if I'm correct too, this one is also released as a single as well, and it did well. This is one I think as well. Yeah, you can hear this. This is one of those ones they'll they'll whip out on classic rock radio once in a blue moon. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like one of the heavier rotation. Uh, yes. Cooper songs, but it's it, yeah. This is you will hear this occasionally, right? And I and it got. I mean, I from what I understand, it, it was critically well received. So you know, audiences loved it. There it is. It's it is. It's another one of their straight ahead tunes, and I, and I do. I like it. Yeah, I just have one question for all you listeners out there: What have I got that makes you want to love me? <laughs> I just want to know. Just ponder that a bit. <laughs> Next up, we have Hallowed Be My Name, written by Neil Smith, the drummer. think of hallowed be my name 
um, uh, uh, this is not one of my favorite songs in the album, but it is a good song. I, I love the organ part in it. That's that's pretty cool. It has that creepy, like overtone of like, here we go, we're gonna get into that religious side again, and it, it does kind of prove that way. Here we go with, you know, striking out as the, the devil and you know, whatnot. I'm making this very articulate. I I know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's a good song. Um, and I I do like the way he sings it. You you brought up a point before something about the vocal nuance there, and I'll let you elaborate there. Yeah, no, I I like the way that Alice sings. Hallowed be my name, as opposed to you know, hallowed be my name. I just little 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 touches like that that I think are pretty cool. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, it opens with that organ. I like that, and it, it you know it turns into another good solid hard rocker. Um, it seems to me like he's singing from the perspective of Satan or a demon or some kind of evil entity, you know, uh, cursing the lovers, cursing the Bible, yelling yep. at fathers, screaming at mothers, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, the guitars are heavy. It's a nice rocking song. You know, I, I, I dig the song like you. It's not my favorite on the album, mm-hmm. but, it, you know, I still like it. There's nothing. Exactly. And there's not really a song on the album that I dislike, which again goes back to what you were saying about the band being so, so tight. They, they do. Their sound is so persistent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, they work together so well. Yeah. Mr. And, e- and it comes through here. I think that comes from a lot of it comes from Mr. Ezrin. And then, you know, the band had to be dedicated to put yes. in all those hours to, you know, really get their song. We keep saying tighten their song, but yeah, that's, I guess that's the best description for it. And I think that's pretty much the way they put it as well. Yeah. It, it was tightening up that sound and, and it, and it proved again, I, I keep saying this, but it, 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 this was, this was their breakout album. Yeah. Oh, this, this is Alice Cooper as we know them. Yes. And, and him. This is mm-hmm. where they arrive, this album. Right. And at this point too, you know, kind of going up a tangent again, this is where Zappa sold straight to um, Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was the end of their three-year deal. Deal, and then because because Warner Brothers liked it, they, that helped them open up some new doors to a wider audience as well. Sure. The next track, track number seven, or the third song on side two, Second Coming," written by Alice Cooper himself. It would be nice. Second coming. I like this song a lot. It's it's. Um, I love the way it, the intro is. It, it kind of gives you something like, okay, this is going to be a real rocker. But all of a sudden, it it breaks into like this light piano, like <laughs> almost like an Elton Johnish type of sound <laughs> to me. Yep. And then he starts singing, and it's so light and airy, and then it just kind of flip flops. <laughs> it's 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 pretty neat the way yeah. that it's written. Yeah, I really love this song. It's one of my favorites on the album, actually. Um, it starts with that heavy rocking intro, and then, like you said, it goes to that quiet piano part, and Al sings it really quiet. Mm-hmm. Then it cranks back into the rock section, and it keeps like building into the guitar solo, into yes. the final verse. There's not really a chorus in this song per no. se. You know, more biblical in- imagery. Um, yes. Again, uh, the lyrics. Now I read this. Uh, it. it they're not. It's not what I actually thought it was. But anyway, the lyrics supposedly mock the Beatles. Oh, did, did I did read, read that. 
Yes, I did. Yeah. That's right. I, which it was. Um, oh, what song is it? It's. Um, oh, I, I can I can see it, and I I can't I can't think of it right now. But that's what I read as well, and I I find that interesting. But he, you know, he was a massive Beatles fan. He sure. is a massive Beatles well, fan. Who isn't? Who isn't? But but he actually was I, another thing I read too. He was actually quoted saying once though that people didn't listen to the Beatles enough. Yeah. Like a, not enough like rock artists particularly would give them credit or go back to that and and listen to it yep so so they were digging ezrin on this song too you know i mean what i mean by digging is like they were giving him you know a little little poke because you know the beatles were beyond criticism at this even back then they were they just yeah they just released let it be you know phil Spector put all that lush orchestration stuff on that they thought was kind of a little bit overdone a little too mm-hmm. much that that's how they were poking fun at the Beatles and they were poking fun at Bob Ezrin who you know he's into that kind of production you know he likes to add stuff to it yeah. you know effects and he'll throw a uh, orchestra in there or you know strings in there if if uh, he thinks it'll help the song out and I, the band was kind of you know taking their piss of Ezrin um, right and he played beautifully in this by the way I thought that that was a really nice you know piano addition I, th- I thought it was really well it was well played it was it was done well yeah tastefully and then i love the part where it just goes into like this marching beat that's right yes and then it plays yes. that you know that that repeating chord progression as the outro to the song i, I just love that part i mean I, I just i love it i just keep listening i listen to it and groove right to it and it leads kind of directly into the next song and that next song is ballad of dwight fry Written by Alice Cooper and Michael Bruce. I'd give her back all of her playthings, even even the ones I stole. See my lonely I see it every day. Shannon, what do you think of the ballad of Dwight Fry? This song is creepy. Um, <laughs> it's very good, but I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that makes no sense whatsoever, but for you listeners out there, I'm sure everybody, I believe, everybody has a deep, like, seated fear. Like, if, if they had to die somewhere, their, their worst nightmare were to come true, mine would be most definitely being put away in an asylum. Oh, no shit. I, I don't think... I, I really that is like so anything that's related to that I, I automatically like shy away from it because it just freaks me out and this is one of those songs I mean right from the outset it's creepy with oh. that like toy xylophone type of intro with the little the little girl asking where daddy is and then then he, daddy comes in and he's going crazy yeah and right to the end where it builds and builds again and it seems like a common theme in this album with that build up yeah but it does it in a massive way in this yes, song yes it really does yeah I mean, he's um, screaming yeah Oh, I love this song. I, I think it's fantastic. It's, I do. I think it's a great song. It's very cinematic. It. It's almost like a movie. Yeah. Um, this song must freak the fuck out of you then. If it if, does. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I listen to it and I'm and I'm like, oh, it gives me that that bad feeling in my stomach almost. It's yep. it's just it's creepy. It's so well written. Yeah. Yeah. And it does do what it's. You can see where every horror movie, you know, subsequently could be inspired by this. Yeah. For me, this is an Alice vocal tour de force. It is. You know it. Go ahead. Oh, it is. I agree. And I was going to say, you know, even right to, I mean, he does, he, he puts all of it into it. Well, but they even set it up that way. I, I, I read that 
Ezrin had him lay down in the studio with a bunch of like metal chairs around him. So he was like locked in a cage to bring out more of the authentic effect. And it definitely worked. Yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like he's really going crazy. Like He's really scared. Yes. You know, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it provided you know, like a claustrophobic, almost coffin-like effect for him. Mm-hmm. You know. Absolutely. And and that's the closest thing to me for a nightmare right there. Sure. Um, so. I, the beginning piano, it fades to acoustic guitar. I love that transition. I love the acoustic guitar parts. Um, the little girl, I guess, is performed by a friend of the band named Monica Lauer. I don't know anything else about her. I just mm-hmm. I, I just read that that's her name. Um, you know, Alice is describing his stay in a hospital or a lunatic asylum, wherever he is. And he, yes. And he continually deteriorates as the song progresses. Um it goes up and down. The music, you know, kind of swells and gets heavier. And um, like like you said, you brought up the, his being uh, surrounded by the chairs and mm-hmm. it scared him. Um, you know, I it, totally see it. Yeah. And, and they uh, later on in the song, like toward the last verse, I guess it's to me, I, I interpret that they let him out. Mm-hmm. But he gets out, but he he can't handle it. It's too much for him. You know, he sees a choking man, and he's still crazy. Yeah, he's still crazy. He he'll he's probably always gonna be. He can't get away from it. Right. Um, it's a disturbing tune, but it it's it is good. Yeah. It's 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 a real um dichotomy almost for me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a tremendous amount. I like it, but I I don't. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I love it. To me, this is a highlight of the album. Obviously, it's something that they they put a lot of attention to, a lot of care. They they intended this to be a big. Uh, you know, a big piece, you know, a big, huge, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to, the word I'm looking no, for. No, I know what you're saying. Like, it's almost like an epic. You know, part yeah, of... like a centerpiece of the album. Absolutely. And I think they achieved that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I agree with you on every, on every point there that it's, he just, they put all of it into it and it worked. Yeah. The name Dwight Fry, they got it from the actor Dwight Fry. Yep. Um, he was an American. He starred in a lot of the Universal horror films, those old monster movies. That's right, Dracula with Bella, 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 Bella Lugosi. Yeah, that from 1931, and, and that and in that Renfield. one he played Renfield. He goes insane. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he follows uh, Dracula's. You know, he's he, he becomes his slave, mm-hmm. and he's he goes he goes insane. So I mean, I think that's definitely where they derive the name from. You know, in, in the movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, I've never seen the original. I saw the remake of the 92 like version of it, yeah. which it also freaked me out as well. You still got the same idea going on. But you see you see Dwight Fry. He, he plays the character Renfield in mm-hmm. that Dracula. And he's got these bug eyes. And he's going, <laughs> you know, he's, he's lost his he's lost his mind. And at the end, there's a big drum beat that leads us into the final track on the album, Sun Arise, written by Rolf Harris, an Australian singer songwriter. Filling up the hollow Sunrise Filling up the hollow Sunrise Filling up the hollow Bringing back the warmth to the ground think about sunrise this is a pretty cool tune and i and i like the fact that this is the song that ends the album i think it's a real change of pace yeah um i think it's it's well it's well covered here it definitely has it screams beetle beetles all over the place it has total beetles overtones i I don't know and i'm not sure if that's the way it was originally performed or if that's something that they that, that 
the way that Alice Cooper ended up playing it. Yeah. Based on their own influences. It's very different vibe from the rest of the album. You know, it's, it's kind of positive and upbeat, but I, I, I like it too. It's really, it's cool. You know, they, it is. They do a great job with it, you know, lighting the darkness of the rest of the album to, for me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. As I'm, as I'm, yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it is, it's a nice way to end it. And I didn't think about it like that. It's so dark. It's like heading into that darkness, but suddenly there's the light at the end of the tunnel. That, you're right. That's kind of how I take it. I think that's why they put it on here. At least, you know, that, that's what I think anyway. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. The, the voice blending at the end, you know, where they're doing um, all the different voices, almost like almost like the Beach Boys. Y- yes. At the end. That, that made me think of that, you know, all those all those vo- vocal parts swirling around each other. Uh-huh. Um, I love that part of it, too. You know, yeah. And, and that's how the song fades out. Um, good tune. Um, for me, it's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Not that I don't like the song. I do like the song. But if I had to pull one off the album... It would be this one just because it doesn't fit the you know, rest probably of, right. thematically. Um, so, you know, like each album, I'm going to give my Aaron Stinky Stinker, like just the one song I'd pull off, like my least mm-hmm. favorite. That, basically, that's what Aaron Stinky Stinker is going to be code word for my least favorite song on the album. And that's only because it doesn't fit. It's a, it's a perfectly good song. I like it a lot. Yeah, that's a good way. Actually, that's that's a good way to put it. And I, I agree with you, actually. I think that if you're going to pull one off, this will probably be the one, too. But I still think it, oddly enough, I, I think it does. It doesn't fit with the, the general theme, but it, it is kind of like, again, that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I'm sure that is what was intended. You know, when you look at it from that perspective, it does fit. Right. Yeah. 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 But but I agree with you. I think it's not it doesn't showcase what these others have. Yeah. So but Again, I don't. There's not one song in the album that I dislike. Yeah, me neither. I, I I love them all, and I think it's a great closer. Yeah, agreed. Okay, now that we finish with the track by track, we're going to go into our album ratings. Uh, our rating system is from zero to five. Five being the best, zero being the worst. So, Shannon, what are your overall thoughts about Love It to Death, and what uh, what rating would you give it? This this album was was initially a big challenge for me which I don't know if I'm ashamed of or proud of or what but I, at first I just I didn't like it I liked the couple of songs like the, my two favorites obviously being you know Caught in a Dream and, and Long Way to Go I liked those songs because they just reminded me of such classic 60s 70s rock and roll so especially 70s but um as I listened to it several times over it really grew on me and I'd have to give it a 4.5 because wow. Because of the influence that it has had on every other every other rock genre out yeah. there, yeah. everybody has been influenced by this album. So that alone just adds to my point, you know, point system. Yeah, in, in my mind, because because it's a bit of a landmark. It's a classic. It is a landmark album. It really is, at, at least in the in the category of shock rock and hard rock. Absolutely. Um, I love this record. I, I'm, I became a big Alice Cooper fan, like you know, like I was talking about in the beginning. Once I took the deep dive in, I I like almost all of his material. And his, if you look at his discography, it goes up and down. It's all over the place, different yes. styles and uh, sounds. Um, but this album is the beginning of the Alice Cooper that we think. When you think of Alice Cooper, you think of the monster, the you know the the shock rocker, the the right. creature. This begins that. Um, 
And there are a few albums in the in the uh, Alice Cooper discography that I would give a five to. Like maybe there's maybe three or four out, maybe four albums I would give it to. Wow, this is, this is one of them. This is this is a five for me. My first Woo! five on the podcast. Nice. Yep, absolutely love this record. I never tire of it. I never skip a track. I'll listen to it anytime, any place, anywhere. You know, and what a five means to me, it's not necessarily perfect. Like I don't know if there is perfection. I don't think there is, but but, but I understand what you it's mean. It's a and favorite that's, for for me. Yes. Five is a favorite, and yeah. this is definitely that for me. And I added that point five to mine because, like I said, because of the influence it's it's actually had on so many people. Maybe not so much personally, but I, I could see where I could even pick up some of it, yeah. you know, or where I have and didn't realize where it came from. Yeah, this begins a five album run of the original and it's actually the the last it's the end of the alice cooper band the five they're all excellent 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 and it just establishes alice cooper as a force to be reckoned with uh when they went into the hall of fame uh it, it was basically the alice cooper band that went into the hall of fame which is good based on those five albums and this is the first one in that five and this is the first one where every band member got credit for it, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where previously, it hadn't. So that that also says something about, I mean, everything about this, this album is such a landmark. Yeah. I mean, eventually, Alice would break away from the rest of the band. He'd become a solo mm-hmm. artist. He kept the name. I think I believe he still pays. He still pays royalties. Yeah. To the survivor. I think one of them has passed away. God damn it. I can't remember which one, mm-hmm. um, I think. But uh, I, I missed my research there. But yeah, he still, I, yeah, I read that too, that he still pays to use the name. Alice mm-hmm. Cooper pays his, his bandmates. Um, fantastic record. You know, I, Absolutely. I, I'll praise it to the moon. Me too. I like it. Okay. And I'd like to do a shout out to a podcast that I enjoy listening to. This week, it's going to be Pods and Sods. It's a podcast that's very similar to ours. Um, they, they have two hosts who talk about music and albums that they like. They also have special sidecasts that they do um like one is like completely devoted to pink floyd another one is completely devoted to the monkeys they have different guests on um it's a great great show it's funny uh craig and eric those guys don't even know that i listen to the show but uh it's a great podcast i highly recommend anybody who likes what we do uh listen to them and they do it better so pods and sods listen Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. If you would like to contact us, let us know how we're doing. If you like the podcast, if you hate the podcast, if you just want to say hello, you can reach us at siblingsonrecord, all one word, at gmail.com is our email address. Or you can reach us on our Facebook page, Siblings on Record. We'd love to hear from you. Any kind of feedback we get is great. Um, on iTunes, subscribe to us, like us, give us a rating. Five stars would be preferred. You know, we want your feedback. So until next week, I'm Aaron. And I'm Shannon. We'll see you. Thank you. song is Ballad of Dwight Fry, written by Alice Cooper and Michael Bruce. Shannon, what do you think of... What the fuck? I I was going to jump in and be like... What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I 
was trying you to You wait for me to introduce the song. I know, but I was trying to And then you yeah. come in. Yeah. I introduce, yeah. you come in. Okay, yeah. All right? Yeah, got it. We got it. All right, got it. Good. I shut up now. I get the last word. Okay, that's good.